Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are in the book of Matthew, and we are in Matthew chapter 10, and we are exploring the scriptures to better understand what is the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to preach 2,000 years ago. And we've learned about what was the gospel of the kingdom, what its genesis was back in the Old Testament, what the prophecies were around the gospel of the kingdom, what it meant, who was it applying to, and how was it going to be applied. And one of the key distinctions that we made, and we've made over the last number of programs, is that this is a gospel that was preached to Israel that involved earthly blessings. It did not involve the church. It did not involve the Gentiles or the Samaritans. It did not involve any heavenly blessings. And the thing that uh, I think a lot of people uh, who have not been following along with us here for sure struggle with the fact that there's no death, there's no burial, there's no resurrection. There's no talk of sanctification. There's no talk of um, being saved of any sort, life in Christ, or anything like that that has to do with his death, burial, and glorious resurrection. It is simply about a kingdom on the earth that was prophesied to be established by a prophesied prophet, a Messiah, a king, and a conqueror. And we've been talking about all of the different um, biblical details and facts that go into bringing that about, and we are to the point now, we're just about to the end of looking at the gospel of the kingdom as we're now looking in Matthew 10, where Jesus is given the gospel to to the 12 apostles, and remember that from all of his disciples, and disciples means students, He picked the 12 apostles, an apostle means messenger, to take this gospel of the kingdom out to Israel, and we're going through the details of that. So it's not so much what is the gospel now, we've established that, it's how do they take it out to the people, what are they told, uh, what is Jesus telling them to be prepared for? And again, in Matthew chapter 10, And by the way, if you're joining us for the first time, a special welcome to you. We are using a worksheet that has all the scriptures that we use. If we reference a scripture uh, with rare, rare exception, it is going to be on the worksheet. And if it's not on the worksheet, it was just on a side note, which, as I say, is very rare. But it's entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and you can find it on the website of this radio station to download. So in Matthew chapter 10... We have established that he, Jesus, has chosen his 12 apostles there at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 10, and then starting in verse 5, he starts to uh, give them directions. 
And in chapter 10, verse 5 of Matthew, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So very, very selective here. But it is exactly what was prophesied. This was God's plan from the beginning, was that the Israelites from 2,000 years before, basically starting with Abraham, they were going to be the people that would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. They were going to be the missionaries. And he's making it very clear here. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't give this gospel to them yet. Don't give this gospel to the Samaritans. And we explained a few programs ago who the Samaritans are coming from a mixture of the Assyrians uh, who took the ten northern tribes captive and then repopulated the northern part of Israel with uh, Gentiles. So it's a mix of Jew and Gentile, the Samaritans. Don't go to them. And then in verse 7 it says, As you go, preach, saying the gospel of the kingdom is at hand. And, you know, sometimes you might think, well, Jesus is God. Why doesn't he do like the kings did in the Old Testament? I mean, when you were a king, you were a king. The people were your subjects, the people obeyed you, and if they didn't, you took disciplinary actions to including having them killed. Why didn't he do that here? Well, that was not the intent of the covenants and the prophecies in the Old Testament, because we knew, we knew, they knew that the Jews would be hard-headed. They would not accept the moral, the ethical, the righteous, the humble the contrite aspects of what it would require to be a part of the kingdom, that this had to be brought to them in the form of God showing his heart to them, coming down in human form, showing himself to them, having a personage that they could relate to, a human being that they could relate to. And just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, this hard-headedness of the Israelites and the way in which you would approach them to establish this wonderful kingdom that Jesus was offering 2,000 years ago. Let's um, keep our hand in Matthew 10, and we want to go back into the Old Testament, and let's go to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. So if you grab a handful of your pages there in the Old Testament, you'll probably end up somewhere between the Psalms and Isaiah, and keep going to the right past Jeremiah and Lamentations, and you get into Ezekiel, and immediately slow down there because we want to be in the third chapter. We've never been in the early parts of Ezekiel before in this um, exploring Bible prophecy ministry, so this is something new for us. But the study of the book of Ezekiel is an amazing experience, and I highly recommend if you ever have the opportunity to do a study in Ezekiel, please do that. Ezekiel, of course, was a contemporary of Daniel and a contemporary of Jeremiah when the Babylonians came in over a 20-year period from roughly 605 to 586 uh, and took people captive back to Babylon. Daniel was one that was taken, and Ezekiel was another one. And so God is using Ezekiel to witness to be a watchman to the Israelites uh, during their captivity, their 70-year captivity in Babylon. And here we are in chapter 3 of Ezekiel, and I want to draw your attention starting at verse 4, 4 through 7. And listen 
to the familiar, hopefully familiar words, because we've been reading them in Matthew 10. Familiar words that he says to Ezekiel. Verse 4, then he, and this is the the, um, spokesman, then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet, verse 7, the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Stubborn and obstinate. So what has changed over that uh, approximately 600-year period from the time that Ezekiel wrote that through the leading of the Holy Spirit till the time that Matthew wrote chapter 10 uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit? Nothing has changed. They're still hard-headed and obstinate. Yet Jesus is here in the full grace of God to bring this wonderful gospel of a kingdom uh, that would be set up in righteousness if they would simply believe him and obey him. Yet as we started in our last program through Matthew 10, we see that they, uh, the apostles were given the, the um special gifting from Jesus to heal the sick, looking at verse 8 of Matthew 10. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. So the idea there is to do these miraculous things of healing and so forth to draw the attention of the people, these hard-headed, stiff-necked people, draw their attention to you so that you can share this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching for the last uh, year or more and now is sharing that with the apostles and, and directing them to take the same gospel of the kingdom out to all of Israel so that they uh, can have the opportunity to hear. And we move down to verse 16 at the end of our last program where it says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And you'll recall from our last program that we took a moment there and went over into Acts. We actually went to a period of time in Paul's ministry. This was the end of his third missionary journey. So this was approximately um, 15 to 20 years, just for discussion purposes, 15 to 20, possibly a little bit more since Jesus had been gloriously resurrected back to heaven. That and it's an example of Paul telling these elders of the Christian church. Remember, the church has been formed by the time Paul comes along. The elders of the Christian church at Ephesus, a major um, port and a major city of religion, both both um, idol-worshiping as well as Christian. Uh, at, at a point in time, John, who wrote the book of John and wrote Revelation, uh, was the uh, bishop of Ephesus. But Paul has left Ephesus. He's now come down to a little town called Miletus and called the elders of the church down there, and he's bidding them farewell. And he's basically saying in Acts chapter 20 from verses 28 to 30 that, hey, the wolves 
are going to come in after I leave. They're going to come in and they're going to start literally, well, spiritually, uh, and in some cases literally taking away your flock. They're going to lead them astray with false doctrines. Not only are the wolves going to come in, but there are going to be people like wolves that are going to come from among you, you elders. And don't we have that today? We have preachers, uh, in many cases, seminary-trained preachers that have turned from the word, the pure word, to a manipulation of the word to take advantage of the people for monetary gain, for uh, power purposes, for ego, for lust, for whatever the case. Uh, We're seeing that today, and actually I think it's getting worse, and I think you might agree with me on that one, that what Paul had admonished the elders back in 50-something, early 60-something A.D. is true today, and if if not uh, more so true than it was even then. But we see that in the admonition of Jesus to the 12 apostles there in Matthew 10, to be weary, uh, to be leery of these people, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, because I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of these wolves. And let's uh, let's move on from there. We read in uh, verse 16, and let's read down to verse 23, and then talk about that a little bit. Verse 17 of Matthew 10. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother, this is verse 21, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You, speaking again to the apostles, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Verse 23, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So there's there's so much to unpack in these verses from 16 to 23. <clears throat> but, a, but some key things to, to pick up on here is he is amplifying and expanding on his statement here about uh, sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Because as we read all the way back 600 years before in Ezekiel chapter 3, just a few moments ago, these people are hard-headed. They won't listen to God's word. The priests who represent the people to God are corrupt. They were then. They are. They were. Um, they were then 600 years before Christ. And we certainly read uh, in the New Testament that they were as corrupt back uh, back at the time of Christ. So you have this corruption from the priest representing the people to God, and then those that were designated as prophets, both at the time of Ezekiel as well as the time of Christ, Christ being premier of the prophets. What did they do to the prophets? They killed them. They killed the prophets who were bringing the word 
in human form, if you will, from God to the people, as was the role of the prophets until the time of the church. So we see how difficult this message is, and he is bolstering the apostles here to take this good news. That's what gospel means, the good news of the kingdom. It's just that these people don't want somebody to come along and tell them how to run their lives, how to manage their lives, how to walk in a way that is not earthly, that is not worldly, that is basically of the dark side. The light side is something that they don't want to have to um, bring into their lives and to take over their lives, which is what Jesus is preaching. We saw that back in the Sermon on the Mount. We went through the, the blesseds. He was basically telling them that's the life that they would have to take. So they're, they're pushing back on this, and this is a difficult thing for them to deal with, a, a very difficult thing. Further on down here in this passage in Matthew 10 from 16 to 23, we see that he's talking about some events, and we know this because we have the, tw- the, the blessed uh, graciousness of God, the 2020 hindsight of now being, in this case, 2,000 years in the future, looking back and having the entire scripture, which at the time of Christ, they didn't have all this. It hadn't been written yet. But we can look back on this and see that what we uh, encounter there, for instance, in verse 18, you'll be brought before governors and kings, and you'll give a testimony, and it will be for the benefit of the Gentiles. Well, we know for sure in the book of Acts uh, that this this happens specifically with Paul. You get into, I believe it's like Acts 25, and here's an example of mentioning a scripture, by the way, that's not listed in your, your handout, but it's just by reference if you wanted to look it up acts 25 around verse 13 i think it talks about paul being brought before the king i believe it was agrippa and it was uh, festus i believe was the governor so you see them literally the governors and the kings there in 18 yet this was some 20 years in the future from the time that uh, this occurred with jesus and the apostles And then you go on down there, and it talks about how the father, in verse 21, the father will be against his child, and the child against the father, and um, all because of what? All because of the good news, all because of the word being brought to them. Um, And, of course, Jesus is the word, but the word that would bring about this kingdom, this is what they were fighting against. And then finally in 23, he says, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Well, if you've been with us uh, for any period of time back to the beginning of this particular series, when we looked at the difference between the Son of God and Son of Man, you understand that this Son of Man, when he comes, he's going to come at the end of the tribulation to judge the unrighteous, to judge the unrighteous. And he's basically saying here to the apostles in verse 23, you apostles, you're not going to finish. You're actually going to die before I come back. It's an allusion, if you will, to his death, burial, and resurrection without having said it. But he um, teaches them about the Son of God, Son of Man, and we'll get into that when we get further in Matthew here as we conclude our look at the gospel of the kingdom. So that's something we're going to want to focus on as we go forward, and we'll continue in Matthew 10 with um, further instructions to the apostles, 
Uh, but now we need to transition, as we always do in our programs, over to our Q&A. And we have a, a new uh, question today. And that question is, and this is very timely, I think, are any of the seals in the book of Revelation open today? <laughs> what a great question. Because we see all the events, the earthquakes, the plagues, the famines, certainly the the wars all over the world that are taking place, not the least of which are in the Middle East. So you can wonder to yourself, are we seeing the uh, the first seals that are listed in the book of Revelation. So we want to spend some time here over a few, Q, uh, a few Q&A programs to take a look at this and see what the Scripture tells us is the case. So let's, let's begin by exploring what the seals are um, that this uh, listener is asking about and see if there are any parallels between the seals listed in Revelation and, for instance, what we are experiencing today in the world. So let's go to the book of Revelation, and that's uh, all the way at the end. And we want to go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And let's read the first eight verses. Read the first eight verses to get a sense of what Revelation says about this and see if what this uh, listener is asking is indeed um, applicable to today. All right, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. Now I should point out here, this is Revelation 6, and we know that Revelation 1, 2, and 3 are an introduction uh, and a discussion of the church. And then in Revelation 4, John, the revelator, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, is told by God to come up here, and he is taken to heaven to be able to view all of this, and he's being shown what's going to happen during the tribulation period uh, yet to come for Israel and what's going to uh, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be about when Jesus comes back, and then he's going to take us all the way to the end of the millennial kingdom and eternity when you get to the end of the book of Revelation. But he has been told to come up. Then in chapter 5, we see the glorious image um, filled out about the um, the throne room of God and what it what it looks like from John's limited perspective and what he's allowed to see and to talk about in heaven. And then the uh, the Lamb, Jesus, uh, is is counted as worthy to open up the seals. And this is the opening of the seals. So a little bit of background there in Revelation, if you've never had the um, the wonderful opportunity to study the book of Revelation. And by the way, the book of Revelation, which so many pastors and so many teachers say, stay away from, it's too hard to understand. And by the way, it doesn't involve you. Well, it does involve you. <laughs> It talks all about the church. As a matter of fact, it's written to the church. And it says that if you will read it and heed it, that means you have to study it and apply it. If you read it and heed it, it will. it's a blessing. It, you will receive a blessing from God the Father Almighty. And it says that at the beginning and at the end of Revelation. So I believe that. So that's why I think Revelation is one of the most precious books in the Bible. 
So Revelation 6, let's get back to um, verse 2. I, and anytime you see I, we know we're talking about John the Revelator telling us. I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Verse 3, when he broke the second seal, he being Jesus, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and another red horse went out, and to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him, given to the rider of this red horse. Verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked. And behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Verse 6, And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Verse 7, When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So those are the first four seals and... um, you can see that what's being talked about here, one, the first one that comes out is, uh, we find out in a study of Revelation, he is the Antichrist that's being revealed. So he is the first entity, uh, the first personage to be introduced in what what we call the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And then right rapidly along behind the introduction of the Antichrist, comes the second seal, which is the red horse, which is war. And, of course, we have wars today. There's no doubt about that. We've had wars ever since mankind was on the earth. Verse 5, we find the third seal, um, the living horse, and this is about famine when it talks about how expensive things are going to be, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wage. So that was very, very expensive. But then we get to verse 7 with the fourth seal, and that describes pestilence. And between all of them, we see a a quarter of the earth being killed. Now, a quarter of the earth, think about that. Today, there are approximately 7.5 billion people on the earth today. And it says a fourth of that, of who's on the earth during the beginning of the tribulation. Now, remember, by, by that point in time, the church will have been taken out, and hopefully that's a lot of the lot of people on the earth, but I don't think that's going to be the case. But a, a fourth of who are left on the earth will be killed uh, simply by the these first four seals being opened up as a result of war and of famine and the pestilence that follows after the uh, the famine. Then, of course, the wild beast will be loosed on the earth. Because remember, when the church is gone, 
there will be no righteous people on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation. You'll get the 144,000 and the two witnesses, but that's after the tribulation begins. So it's going to be very, very bad at the beginning. The question is, does this apply to the current day in which we live? And we will uh, get to that answer in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.